We take a closer look inside the Big Ten with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter, at Tom Fernelli. Wisconsin, Tom, with a typical Wisconsin win, maybe not flashy, but certainly effective. I love their defense, but is their Achilles heel still going to be their speed? Yeah, you know, when I was watching that game on Friday night, it was the one thing I was mostly interested in was watching the defense. And like you said, because there's a lot of new starters on that side of the ball, and they looked really good. Although, I mean, you don't want to take it too much because it's against Western Kentucky. But as far as the speed issue, yeah, I mean, there's we got to remember they have a, they had a couple receivers suspended and a couple fast receivers suspended. So that kind of hurts their ability to stretch the field. And we saw the kind of impact that could have on their offense on Friday night because Jonathan Taylor had – two really long touchdown runs. His two touchdown runs covered 77 yards. But you take out those other two runs, and he was bottled up pretty well for the most part by a Western Kentucky defense that isn't exactly one of the country's most you know stout units in the world. So the inability to stretch the field on Friday night really hurt them, and they're going to need that going into Big Ten play. They're going to have to be able to – Alex Hornibrook's going to have to be able to throw the ball downfield, and he's also going to have to be more accurate than he was last night because he definitely looked rusty in the first start of the season because at the end of last year, Hornibrook had really kind of settled in as a passer. It was much more accurate with his throws, and last night he was missing guys by a lot. So hopefully that was just rust for him in Wisconsin if he can find that groove going forward and get back to where he was at the end of last season. Well, another quarterback certainly opened some eyes and was impressive as a star born in East Lansing with Brian Lewerke pulling the Spartans out of the fire with uh, a couple of nice plays late. Yeah, and he had to. I mean, my the thing that I took away more than anything from that Michigan State win was that offensive line does not look very good. Utah State was able to get pressure on Lewerke all night, and he was you know he had to make plays, and he was moving around and scrambling for his life or trying to dodge hits because Utah State kept blitzing from the left side, and I don't know if it was Lewerke who was missing it pre-snap or if it was whoever's making the calls on their offensive line pre-snap, but they were missing blitzes on every other play, it seemed like. There were unblocked rushers coming at Lewerke from the left side, and that's something that's on tape and every team is going to see and every team is going to try to take advantage of until Michigan State shows it can fix it. But I think Lewerke is has a good shot, if he can get any protection from here on out, to be the best quarterback in the Big Ten, along with Trace McSorley, those two guys to be the best, and maybe if Shea Patterson at Michigan takes a step forward. But he's a very talented player who, as the season goes along, you're going to be hearing about you know NFL draft prospect and a possible first-round pick or a second-round pick, and teams are going to be interested in because he has the body, he has the arm, and as we saw a couple times last night, he's also mobile and can get out of the pocket and run. And he's not, you know, he doesn't have Lamar Jackson speed, but he's got enough speed to you know get away from somebody and pick up a first down. Talk with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. Minnesota with a strong start as to be expected, but how much different do you expect it to be in year two under P.J. Fleck for the Gophers? I think it's it's going to be probably a somewhat rough season for Minnesota, but not in a way to think that it's not going to work. It's just, as P.J. Fleck has said all offseason, this was the, by design, the way he's building the program. This is a very young team. When you looked at Minnesota and its opener on Thursday night, the depth chart and the ones and twos is filled with freshmen and sophomores. There are not a lot of seniors on this team. And, you know, they've got Zach Anikstad as a walk-on freshman quarterback starting, although the walk-on is a bit misleading because he was a three-star recruit who had scholarship offers from Illinois, from Pitt and schools like that. It's just as, you know, his family went to Minnesota. His dad's a former NFL player, so instead of taking a scholarship, they're paying his tuition. 
So he's a talented player, but at the end of the day, he's still a freshman. They still have freshmen on the offensive line. They have freshmen on the defensive line and linebacker in their secondary. So this is a team that is going to be very young and is going to have a lot of growing pains, particularly once Big Ten play starts, because I don't care how talented you are. It's really hard for freshmen to hold up against Big Ten caliber players for the long haul. It's something that we saw with Illinois having to deal with on a weekly basis last year where they were, they were able to play well for a half, and then the second half would start, and they'd just kind of get worn down by bigger, stronger players. And I think we're going to see that with Minnesota this year. But I think that the way he's recruited overall since he got to Minneapolis, Minnesota is still trending upward. A couple of conference heavyweights will start with Michigan, has, which has Shea Patterson now, maybe the best quarterback Jim Harbaugh has had yet in Ann Arbor. Is this team a dark horse for the national championship? Yes. And, and talent-wise, this is no question the best quarterback that Harbaugh's had in Ann Arbor. There's, there's no doubt because this is a very talented kid we're talking about. But the one thing that I am really interested in watching with Michigan on Saturday night against Notre Dame is how that offensive line performs because that was really, in reality, Michigan's you know Achilles heel last year. That offensive line could not pass protect. I think they had a 9.9% sack rate against, which was one of the worst in the country. I mean, on every 10 passes that somebody dropped back, they were getting sacked. And that doesn't include all the times that the quarterbacks were getting hit. There's a reason Michigan had to go through so many QBs last year because they were getting hurt because they kept getting hit over and over and over again. So I want to see Michigan's offensive line, how it's improved this year against the Notre Dame defense that doesn't have I would say a superstar at its front seven, but it has an experienced front seven and a talented front seven that could provide some challenges. So for me, Michigan's entire season is going to be decided by its offensive line because the defense is elite. It has good receivers, even with Tariq Black breaking his foot and being out for the season. It's got a good stable of running backs. It has a very talented quarterback. If they can block for him, this is a team that could win the Big Ten and go to the college football playoff and maybe win a national title. If the offensive line can't block, we could be looking at another eight-win season in Ann Arbor. And then maybe, you know, the, the questions about Jim Harbaugh if they lose to Ohio State and have another down year begin to grow a little louder. Penn State has had a chip on its shoulder about losing Saquon Barkley and Mike Gusecki, but which is the bigger loss, those two or Joe Moorhead? I think Moorhead, honestly, because – Listen, Barkley is a terrific player. He's, he was the best player, you know, talent-wise, probably in the country last year. And he was a huge reason Penn State was what it was. But you have to remember, Penn State had Barkley the year before Joe Moore had came around, and that offense was not very good. The play calling was not exactly stellar. Moorhead comes in, brings in a new scheme, revitalizes things, and actually takes advantage of that talent. All of a sudden, Penn State goes from being – an average Big Ten offense to an elite offense in the country with Trace McSorley putting up huge numbers, Barkley putting up huge numbers. Now Moorhead's gone. He's taken that to Mississippi State. But the good news is new offensive coordinator Ricky Ronnie has spent the last you know few years working under Moorhead because James Franklin realized that once he saw you know he, Moorhead came as a head coach from Fordham to take over Penn State's offense. James Franklin knew, was smart enough to know the entire time that if it worked out, Joe Moorhead wasn't going to be at Penn State for more than a couple of years before he got a head coaching job somewhere else, which is exactly what happened. So Ricky Roddy has been there serving as kind of a student apprentice type play person to learn the offense, to learn the way he ran it, the play calling. So I have a feeling that 
while it's not going to be easy to just step in and do everything Joe Moorhead did, the drop-off might not be as drastic. And while there might be a small step back this year, I think that going forward, Ricky Ronnie is, is smart enough and a good enough coach to get Penn State's offense back to where it was. Scott Frost has really changed the outlook in Lincoln, and with good reason. Is it fair to expect that he can turn it around as quickly as he did at UCF? No. I mean, here's the thing. I think Scott Frost is a terrific coach, and you don't do what he did at UCF unless you're very good. I mean, that he took over a team that was 0-12 and, and went to 6-7 and and then to 13-0. and But it's a lot easier to improve by six wins in your first year in, in the AAC than it will be in the Big Ten. Now, the good news is he doesn't have to improve by six wins this year. If if Nebraska can go from 4-8 and eight to 6-6 six and six and get to a bowl game, Nebraska fans are going to be happy. And that's something I definitely think he could do because – the offense in the last few years of Nebraska hasn't exactly been what Nebraska was used to from its glory days for the option. And I'm not just talking the style of play, just from the production and the explosiveness. Scott Frost knows how to put together an offense that can score points. And Nebraska's offense is going to be much more potent this year. And the defense, I think, will be a bit better because one of my problems with their defense last year is Everybody, we made a big deal about them switching from a 4-3 to a 3-4, and yes, that had an impact. It was also, but was also the problem was it wasn't a, an aggressive defense. It was pretty much rushing four guys in every play and having everybody else drop back into coverage. And most quarterbacks, when you're dropping into a zone every play, are going to be able to figure that out over the course of a game and figure out how to beat your zone. This Nebraska defense with the defensive unit that Scott Frost brought with him from UCF, they're going to be much more aggressive and try to put pressure on quarterbacks, which is something you just didn't see Nebraska do very often last season. So I expect to see this team improve on offense and improve on defense. And I expect that it's going to get to six and six and probably seven and five, to be honest. So I think, yes, there's definitely reason to be optimistic about Nebraska in 2018. We take a closer look inside the Big 12 with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. Oklahoma gets Florida Atlantic to kick things off. How much distance is there between the Sooners and the rest of the Big 12? My gut tells me there's quite a bit, to be honest with you. I know that there's, you know, with losing Baker Mayfield, obviously that's a huge loss. He's one of the best quarterbacks in college football history the last few years. But I still have, I'm still pretty confident in Lincoln Riley's ability as a play caller and Oklahoma's talent level that Oklahoma is going to be just fine. Kyler Murray is a different kind of quarterback than Baker Mayfield, which means we're going to see more of a run, run team and a run dominated, run oriented offense out of Oklahoma. But it's still going to be explosive. It's still going to put a bunch of points up on the board. And at the end of the day, Oklahoma is still going to have the best defense in the Big 12. So when I look around in the, the losses Oklahoma is dealing with, I think Oklahoma is much better equipped to replace those guys than anybody else in the Big 12 is the guys that they need to replace from their teams because a lot of Big 12 teams lost key players from last season, and it's going to affect a lot of them going into the season. So when I look at the Big 12, it's hard for me to envision a scenario in which Oklahoma doesn't win the conference in the regular season by at least a game or two. Now, they might lose the Big 12 championship because anything can happen once you get to that final game. But it's just from top to bottom, I think that this is clearly the best team in the Big 12 this year. West Virginia's offense is something special, but can the Mountaineers' defense be good enough to keep them in the national championship picture, if not the Big 12 championship picture? That That's the million-dollar question for the Mountaineers because, you know, Will Greer, Heisman candidate quarterback, David Sills, a terrific wide receiver, Dana Holgerson, offense, we know they're going to score points. 
But the thing that, you know, there's been a lot of hype about the Mountaineers as the team in the Big 12 that can challenge the Oklahoma, and I get it for all those reasons. But I think we're all looking a little too easily past the fact that that West Virginia defense gave up 32 points per game last year, and I don't know what has changed on that defense. Besides, It's a year older, which is good. That's always a nice thing. But I need to see a big step forward from that defense because it was a couple years ago when West Virginia had one of the best defenses in the Big 12 that it won 10 games and had a terrific season. That's not a coincidence. I know that when we talk about the Big 12, we talk about high-scoring offenses and you know the points that are scored every single week, and it, it, I understand because it happens. But as I've always hammered, the difference between the good Big 12 teams and the bad Big 12 teams are the good ones have defenses that maybe don't stand up as number, you know, number one defense in the country as far as the traditional stats of points against and yards and all that stuff. But they have defenses that can keep the other team from scoring on every single drive. They have good defenses, and that's the one thing that I'm questionable about with West Virginia. Unless that defense takes a step forward and proves it can get off the field and get its offense back on the field with regularity, I'm not ready to proclaim West Virginia as a real contender in the Big 12 until I see that happen. Talking with Tom Fernelli as we take a closer look inside the Big 12. You could follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. Texas and Maryland. It started last year in Austin. It was the beginning of the Tom Herman era with the Longhorns. It did not get off to a good start this year. Much vast, vastly different uh, teams for for both squads. You know what makes you think that this is going to be a lot different for Texas this year? I don't know how much different it's going to be this year. I think that the way Herman has recruited is is it bodes well for the future in Austin as far as, you know, the talent level. But Texas has always been a team that's talented, so it's hard to really base it off that. I think that this is a Longhorns team that at quite a bit that it has to replace. And, and funnily enough, I think you can ask Seahawks fans now how they feel about it. I think one of the harder things Texas is going to have to replace is its punter Michael Dixon because that defense last year was outstanding. And Dixon was a large reason for it because he was continually flipping the entire field on opponents and burying offenses deep in their own you know territory and giving the defense all that room to work with. So I think that's going to be a huge loss that Texas has to deal with. But other than that, I mean, this is an offense that should improve in year two under Herman. I would expect it to be better this year than it was last year, and at least more consistent. But on defense, it loses guys like Malik Jefferson and other key players. So there are questions on either side. But all that said, as we talked about, with Oklahoma is clearly the best team in the Big 12 this year. There is a vacuum after Oklahoma there between all these teams to see who can step up and take advantage of it. And as far as talent is concerned, Texas has all the talent that it needs to be the team to take advantage of it. So we could see a step forward this year. I'm just not expecting a huge one. Texas Tech in action against Ole Miss, and the seat is warm for Cliff Kingsbury. Since that big start years ago in his first season, Texas Tech can keep waiting for them to step forward, but it just hasn't happened. What does he need to do to stay in that spot at his alma mater? Well, you know, irony of all ironies, I think the one saving grace for Cliff this year at Texas Tech could be his defense risk. We're talking about a team that in 2016 gave up 43 points per game. But last year we saw Texas Tech's defense take a big step forward. It went from giving up 43 points per game to 32 points per game. Now, that's still a lot, but that's a 10-point improvement over the year before. And it's a Texas Tech defense this year that has 10 returning starters from that unit last year. So I'm wondering if we might see even more improvement from Texas Tech on that side of the ball this year, which would be wonderful because we know even without, you know, as we saw, Texas Tech could replace Pat Mahomes and still have a potent offense. And Pat Mahomes was really good. 
and we see that Texas Tech this year with Cliff there, the offense that they run, they're still going to have a potent offense and put up a, a ton of points. So if that defense with all that returning experience and talent can take another step forward, to me, that could be the that could be the deciding factor for Texas Tech, whether it's a five and seven team or maybe an eight and four or nine and three team, depending on how well that goes on the defensive side of the ball. This is a team to me that has a wide range of outcomes and is kind of an X factor in this Big Twelve this season. Talk with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. Matt Campbell and Iowa State turned those close losses into wins last year. Can they make the next step this year, and what do they need to do? I mean, they just need to keep doing what they were doing last year, honestly. I mean, they're not going to – they're not. I don't, I'm don't. i not expecting them to knock off two top five teams in Oklahoma and TCU in, you know, in a few weeks like they did last season. But it was still clearly a team very much moving in the right direction, and they just have to keep doing that work. I don't I, – I'm skeptical that their record at the end of this year is going to be much better than the one that they posted last season. But I think what's more important than that, what's more important getting to nine wins or ten wins, is just maintaining the results that they had last year to keep that momentum going. Because if they can do that, I think that that's really good news for Iowa State and Matt Campbell. Of course, if they do it, Matt Campbell is once again going to be one of the most highly sought-after coaches on the market this winter for teams looking to upgrade. So it's kind of a catch-22 for the Cyclones. You almost don't want him to do too good so you can keep Campbell for an extra year. You wonder when Bill Snyder is going to retire. He's still going in spite of everything. Does a big year for his Wildcats prompt him to ride off into the sunset or energize him? I, I wish I, I wish I knew. It's it's such a it's it's hard to know what Bill's going to do because you know he's it's at this point you feel like he's reached an age where most coaches have stopped and it's like when he originally left Kansas State you felt like he reached the age where the coach stopped but he came back to do it again and he's done a terrific job of keeping this program churning so it's. It's going to be up to him, and frankly, what's most interesting to me about the situation or what's most kind of scary about the situation is how Kansas State's going to want to handle it when he does leave because Bill Snyder clearly wants his son to take over for him when he's gone and continue you know, with the family and continue running the program. But I am not sure if Kansas State's athletic department is interested in going that route or finding somebody else to take over the program. So I feel like we could see a bit of a soap opera-y kind of end to this story in Kansas State and Manhattan, which would be kind of a shame considering all that Bill Snyder has done for that program. 